0: that's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Dw avoid prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. CyberstationUSA.com. Terrestrial radio is basically going to be supplanted by what's happening in technology. Think about this your internet receiver gives you the entire world. It's remarkable.
1: This is Cyberstation USA.
0: Live from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, the Total Education Show, the talk shop for teachers, parents, and administrators. Here's your host of the show, Neil Haley, the Total Tutor.
2: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Total Celebrity Show. You can check me out on Twitter at Total Tutor and also NeilHaley And I'm excited to welcome the program celebrity, Carrie Elway's. Uh, Carrie, thanks for calling. How are you? And uh, I appreciate I'm you coming. Bill, how are you? I am doing fantastic, and you know what? It's, uh, it's very interesting to dis- discuss The Princess Bride. Again, you uh, released it last year. The book is called As You Wish, The Inconceivable Tales from the Making of the Princess Bride, and uh, you're a New York Times bestselling author. Did you ever think that would be the case?
3: I couldn't believe my my good fortune, honestly. The, the book is sold like hotcakes, and now it's out in uh, paperback, and we made the uh, L.A. Times bestseller list, so... Very
2: happy about that well, uh congrats for sure now uh one of the my favorite moments is it, 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 it's, it's interesting is talking about Andre the Giant. I'm a former professional wrestler, Carrie, and I was a huge fan of Andre really? the Giant. yes, yeah, so I wanted to talk I wanted to get one of your memories. I'm sure you shared in the book about Andre. you want a story about Andre Yeah, yeah, absolutely yeah, oh gosh, okay, easy.
3: Well, the first scene we shot together was when uh they were about to storm the castle and were on the wall and i i after I come to after being mostly dead that's when andre let out a sixteen second fart <laughs> that was so loud it could be heard in 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 China and uh deafened everybody and uh brought shooting to a standstill and uh when it was all over, there was a stunned silence from the crew and uh Rob Reiner, our director, said, Hey, Andre, you okay? <laughs> like that. And Andre, without missing a beat, said, I am now, boss. Like that. <laughs> and that reduced us all to tears of laughter again. It was amazing.
2: And he was such a kind-hearted soul, wasn't he? Sorry? Was he? He was a very kind-hearted soul. Good guy, wasn't
3: he? Oh, he was a beautiful guy. He was just a beautiful, beautiful guy. I call him, he was a gentle giant. He always had a smile on his face, always.
2: Oh, wow, fantastic. When you first got the script and you were uh, auditioning, did you ever think it was going to be as big as you thought this movie would be in your when you first? Uh,
3: we hoped it would be. You know, I really did hope it would be because it was such a fun movie to make and it was such a beautiful message. And we hoped it would be great. And it came out and it didn't do so well. So we were all a bit depressed.
2: But it, but how did it last the time that it did? After that fact, when you said it didn't well, do it, yeah. well,
3: about ten years after it came out, VHS was born.
2: Along, thanks to the invention of the VCR, yeah. we had a we had another life.
3: The film, people started renting it, the the VHS copies, and buying it and giving it as gifts to family, and then it became this hit below. You
2: know, it was unbelievable. Yeah, so was it it kind of carry in a way that the promotion of the film first coming out wasn't as good, or it just became a, it had a lifeblood of itself through VHS and and distribution?
3: Right. Well, the first time they sold it, they didn't really know how to sell the movie, frankly, the studio. They weren't sure. Was it a comedy? Uh, Was it a fantasy film? Was it for kids? Was it for adults? Well, it was all of those things. but They didn't know that. They tried to sell it as like a sort of
2: kids movie oh yeah instead of instead of a
3: it's not
2: no 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 and instead especially in and it's it's a fairy tale for adults in the clean version so that then that's
3: could enjoy it too
2: yeah absolutely yeah,
3: that's what makes me
2: but if you're just marketing the kids you're not going to get the adults out to the the theaters and all those different things and once they <laughs> saw the, the great work uh it was, it was that kind of thing. Now, Carrie, when thinking about what was your fondest memory of, of, of making it? Well, the whole film was a fond memory for me because it
3: was my first big studio film. And I can barely remember a day without laughter on the set. And it's the film that gave me the life I have today. So I'm very grateful for it. And uh, I have nothing... Uh, the reason I wrote this book is because I have fond memories of every day being on the set.
2: Where did you guys shoot the film?
3: We shot it in Derbyshire, uh, outside Sheffield, in the Peak District. That's where we're all running around outside the fire swamp uh, and in the forest. And then um, Haddon Hall doubled for Florence Castle. And then uh, Sheffield Institute is where we shot the fight sequence and Miracle Max and... Um, uh, wow, wow I guess, the wedding, all of that,
2: yeah uh, and, and working with the cast So he, the reason you wrote the book again as you said it, it, was a, it was such a tremendous experience All the way through Working with the cast, directors, everybody
3: That's right, that's right We all I, we all had a lovely time making the film And Rob really set the tone You know, Rob Ryan our director He, yes. really took, he took us all out to dinner every night I mean, we really had a wonderful time.
2: Fantastic. And another thing you are uh, you have right now is the Art of More. Can you tell me a little bit about the Art of More?
3: That's right. So, Art of More is, um, uh, is an online streaming show that's uh, on Crackle, which is a free streaming network, and you can just go to crackle.com and start watching. It's a really fun show. We're in our second season. Um, and I, I do the show with Dennis Quaid and Kate Bosworth and Christian Cook, and it's a to show about the art world and, and all the devious activity that goes on, you know, in auction houses and stuff like that, with buying and selling art. And it's really a fun, exciting show. It's, it's uh, It has a lot of uh, action and drama and everything going on. It's really great. We're very proud of it.
2: Would you consider yourself an art connoisseur? Did you understand, uh, know the history of art? Um, Not
3: really. Mm -hmm. Not really. An amateur connoisseur, if you will. I kind of, I I know what I like. um, And I'm studying more of it now that I'm in the show, of course. So I'm acutely more aware of it.
2: And the show also gets uh, art out there. Right. Which is another missing component.
3: We uh, we, we, uh, highlight the work of Ed Ruscha this season in one of the episodes. So yeah, we we're, we're we're getting artists involved with the show, which is really fun.
2: And and in that in that process of working uh with uh, th- this this group of people. Do you like working with them as well? For the Art of Say More. Again, I'm sorry? The, the, the the group of the Art of More. Do you enjoy working with this group as well and uh, the cast you're working with?
3: Oh my gosh, I'm We love going to work with each other. what's great is we all bonded right away, the actors and so it's a joy to go to work, and we have fun playing these characters. We all know these characters so well. The casting was, was impeccable on the show. Um, and, yeah, they're wonderful actors. They're all professional, and they're fun, and that's what makes it joyful.
2: Well, fantastic, Carrie. Where's the best place we can find information on you, learn more about you, and purchase your book? Where we I know we can go anywhere to purchase learn your book. Learn more
3: about people. go to um, asyouwishbook.com uh or Simon Schuster and Titan uh, uh Titan Carry always and Simon Schuster and, and, and a bio page will come up um yeah uh cool i i am deep site if you want to learn more
2: absolutely and what film to- Great, Carrie. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, really enjoyed you in The Princess Bride. Definitely going to check out The art, art of More and uh, the story about Andre. I'm sure you didn't think you'd get a question like that, but Andre's the man, and uh, may, him re- may he rest in peace, and uh, it's great to know the story. May he rest
3: in peace. All right. I want to wish you and all your listeners a very happy Thanksgiving, and thank you for having me on your show.
2: Well, thanks, Carrie, and uh, happy Thanksgiving to you as well, and take care. Thanks for calling. Okay, bye-bye. God bless. Bye-bye. God bless. Take care. Bye-bye. You're listening to Total Celebrity Show. We'll be back in just a moment. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Total Celebrity Show. You can check me out on Twitter at TotalTutor and at TotalRadioNet, and I'm excited to welcome the program celebrity, John C. McGinley. Uh, John C., thanks for calling, and we're going to be talking about a bunch of fun things today, especially the season finale of Stand Against Evil. John, thanks for calling.
1: Yeah, the show is just completely subversive and wrong, and everything about it is just it's completely. Look, it's it's born it's born out of out of the the brain of Dana Gould, and Dana was one of the Emmy award winning writers on uh, on uh, The Simpsons. Oh, wow. And so when you combine kind of Dana's sensibilities from The Simpsons with with kind of my take on comedy from Scrubs, and then you hide that comedy in a horror show. Then you get standing
2: in Steubel. That's that's got to be hilarious because I loved you in Scrubs. I mean, you were you're you, were, you were fantastic. It made me always think about specifically when I was a student teacher and how cooperating teachers and teachers would treat me. And the same kind of thing went on in with the the show Scrubs. And as you were a resident, helping the residents learn the business, but also see it as lighthearted at times with the duff, difficult subjects you guys discussed.
1: Yeah, I thought I thought the interesting thing about the, the Doctor Cox character in, in 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 Scrubs was was that he was the mandate that he was that he was challenging these these kids with was saving lives, yeah, not not connecting pipes, and so uh, that's why I took such liberties with with teaching with a jackhammer. It was just like we're not. This isn't about sanding the wood on the chair and making it smooth. This is about saving someone's life. Right, and, and so that becomes different, and so there's a different pressure. And so I thought Dr. Cox could could come at that a little more aggressively than somebody who is, you know, maybe altering a yoga pose with a student.
2: Is that how, is that your personality, John? The personality of of uh, from Scrubs. I don't
1: know. I remember, I, remember I, I read an interview with John Malkovich, and, and John suggested that there was in contemporary acting that there was two schools of American acting. In one, he referenced Robert De Niro, who, when he was really at the peak of his powers, he became the characters: uh, Raging Bull, King of Comedy, Taxi Driver. And John said the other side of that is when the characters become the person. And he said that that's what he does. He invites the characters to become him. And I'm kind of on John's school. I invite them into, into McGinley land. And if we can meet in there, then great. If not, then I don't do the movie. (laughs)
2: <laughs> so oh, I, I, I can tell that you could, and that's why a lot of your characters were pretty atten- intense at times, right? And so you're adding a lot of your intensity and, with the comedy of Scrubs with also the the, uh, the horror. So all of the perfect things in this show, it sounds like to me.
1: Yeah, the hardest tone to straddle in in Stan Against Evil, what we chose to mimic which was a little ambitious, was what John Landis did in An American Werewolf in London. And what he successfully did was he, he straddled horror and comedy. Right. And so that's that's really hard because if the monster or the witches or the threat is too profound, then you have The Exorcist. And you can't break a joke in The Exorcist. It's not possible. No, you can't. And then if the, if the threat or the consequence is... Declawed or denuded, then you have Scooby Doo, and there's no threat. And so, to to honor the threat and break jokes is really hard, and because one gets usually one gets sacrificed. And to to try to stay right in that narrow bandwidth is what we did with Stand Against Evil, and. Uh, it felt very satisfying to have stayed authentic to that and for it to come out as, as well as it did.
2: So, John, you were definitely one of the creative people behind this whole thing then, it sounds like to me, correct? Yeah,
1: yeah. I'm the producer of it.
2: Yeah, the producer. So what was that different for you to be uh more more your mindset? No, I've you know, produced
1: five or six films and mm-hmm. I've written a few and no, it's not it's I prefer it.
2: You like that? Okay, good. I mean, and I find this very, it's again available on IFC, and uh, tonight's the season finale. So the storyline, without giving away anything, give us that little,
4: the premise of the show.
0: CyberstationUSA.com Terrestrial radio is basically going to be supplanted by what's happening in technology. Think about this. Your internet receiver gives you the entire world. It's remarkable.
1: This is Cyber Station USA.
0: Show
2: and stuff. uh, Your characters and stuff.
1: It's Archie Bunker fighting witches reluctantly.
2: (laughs) That's great. And in your character's a sheriff, I was reading up on it is a is a sheriff who um uh is retired yet someone else was taken over and then yeah, he's
1: Archie Funker. He's he's Clint in in Gran Torino. He's a he's a guy who'd rather be sitting in his in his he, he up until about a minute ago, he, he was a sheriff for thirty years and he had a wife and they're both gone and taken away and now he just wants to sit in his lazy boy and, and drink a thousand beers and watch the History Channel. But he can't even do that because there's a hundred and seventy two witches trying to kill him. And so he
2: does what anybody would do. He gets a lead pipe and he starts to bash witches over their head. That's great. That that's awesome, for sure. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's cuz again, with the popularity of some of these horse things now and then add your 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 genius, it's it's great. Uh, I, and witches. How did you come up with the idea for witches to kind of change the the game a little bit?
1: Um, because we borrowed from the Salem witch trials where where 43 witches were burned at the stake. And in our fictitious town, this constable back in the day of, of witch burnings, he, he burns 172, and they're all falsely accused. So those souls come back as witches to hunt and kill every sheriff in the history of this town. But for some reason, they haven't been able to kill me during my 30-year tenure as sheriff, but now that I'm retired— it's open season on me, and we find out why they haven't been able to get me in the context of the show.
2: And fantastic, and uh, that, that's great. And can people catch up? You said the season uh, is uh, final, is uh, the 23rd. Can people catch up with the earlier episodes to catch up to where the season Oh,
1: God, comes? yeah. You can binge the hell out of this thing. There's, it's on every streaming service on the planet. And then the, the finale is Wednesday night, and the last, the, the eighth and final episode we did which is on uh, Wednesday night on IFC, is one of the best half hours of television I've ever done, scrubs included. It's just so ambitious and stunning.
2: Are you happy with your whole cast that uh, together and everything in the show and all the other people that you're involved with in the show?
1: Yeah, it's a good question, because when you put together a, a small startup company, which is a a production company and you all in this case gather down in Georgia and Atlanta to shoot this thing, you don't know what you don't know what's gonna happen. You don't know yeah. if this one's a jackass or if this one's a, a, a you know a, a butt buster. You you don't know. You don't know who's gonna be busting your hump and um uh, so you put together this group, the the crew and the cast and and you roll the dice and sometimes it's a disaster and sometimes it, it comes out great. And this was largely fantastic. We borrowed it liberally from the the crew that was on hiatus from Walking Dead, which is shot down in, oh, in Atlanta. Great. And so all the effects people and, you know, the witches are pretty much as good as it gets in 2016 because all the special effects people were, you know, they were down. They were on their break. And so we hired them and they were astonishing.
2: That's fantastic. I, de- I can't so again, wait.
1: again, the yeah. witches are rendered in yeah. a really scary way.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, because
1: these people are great at their jobs.
2: Oh, fantastic. Yeah, awesome. And so everything really went, worked out well. And any project you know that you're really involved in, you, you just definitely want to see success. So where is the best place we can find information on you, John? Also, uh, go ahead and, and find Stand Against Evil, especially tomorrow night, Wednesday night, to find the final episode and all that stuff. Where's the best place we can go?
1: Stan plays on IFC, and then it'll stream on every single streaming service on the planet as soon as the season wraps, and uh, I can't recommend it, the show highly enough.
2: Fantastic. Are you on Twitter as well, John, that people can connect with you? Social yeah, media? Yes, John C.
1: McGinley at Twitter. All
2: right. Well, John, thanks for taking the time to, to come on the show. And we
1: live stream. We live stream during the show, so people should get on and uh, at, uh, what is it? It's it's Pound, Stand Against Evil. Yes. And so we We live tweet, it. It's
2: really fun. Oh, fantastic. All right, well, John, thanks for calling, man. Take care, and uh, best of luck, and happy Thanksgiving.
1: All the best. I'll talk to you next time.
2: All right, take care. Thanks, man. Okay, bye-bye. You're listening to the Total Celebrity Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Total Celebrity Show. You can check me out on Twitter at TotalTutor and TotalRadioNet and uh, continue to have unbelievable guests, so I'm excited to welcome the program, Sean Gunn of Gilmore Girls. Sean, thanks for calling. How are you? Sean, how are you? I'm
5: doing well, man. How are you
2: doing? I'm doing fantastic, Sean, and I wanted to talk about your experience before this Netflix special and how you reminisce about Gilmore Girls and your experiences so far in the show
5: um well it's this whole trip has been really crazy um it's uh it's wild to have done a show so many you know that's been off the air for almost a decade right yeah and uh and and now have it come back and have everybody be talking about it um, I think the show's more popular now than it ever was when it was actually on the air so um that's a very strange experience,
2: but I love it. So the, the the ability to get back connecting with so many Gilmore Girl fans that you just never knew when you were doing the show, you're like, and now with Netflix uh, coming up, you're like, holy cow, everyone still remembers me and what yeah. I did. It, 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 is it interesting for you in a way, and you know, social media-wise and how you can stay connected? Yeah, it's interesting,
5: it's, yeah, uh, it's, I, I kind of sort of, can't process it you know i went to this this fan festival um a few weeks ago in connecticut and the the enthusiasm of the fans is is really something like you generally only see in you know sci-fi fantasy uh shows you know it's like the gilmore girls fans remind me of of trekkers or uh you know doctor <laughs> who fans or something like that you know they've got there's
2: a that's whole, hilarious, yeah. A
5: culture that's sprung up around the fans of the show it's really crazy
2: uh and uh and then and then you're saying to yourself well i don't even remember some of these episodes right and they do
5: <laughs> oh yeah for sure no i remember i remember a lot of them but uh i definitely don't remember all of them i mean it's not, it's not uncommon for for a fan to be like, I love it when you did this. And I'm like, Yeah, no, I have no clue what you're
2: talking about. <laughs> well, I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna be honest with you, Sean. I have not seen the Gilmore girls ever. So you can take me back to that time and uh what what's the premise of the show? Just right, for my, you're not for my the
5: demographic, it's all right.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So tell me. <laughs> I'm forty-three, but uh, the ten years ago I was thirty-three, so I was too busy. I don't know what I was doing at thirty-three. But go ahead and
5: uh, yeah, not you're you're older than me.
2: Yeah, yeah. Give me give me an update on you know specifically what the show was before the premise of the show and then we'll get right into uh the netflix and uh what what it is today
5: the show the show Gilmore Girls is about uh Lorelei Gilmore um played by Lauren Graham she and her her daughter Rory um and when the show started in 2000 um the the mother is thirty two and the daughter is sixteen. She had her at a very young age. Okay. And it's a story sort of about their relationship. Um the third Gilmore girl is is Lorelai's mother, who she has sort of a contentious relationship with. And um and it really is it's just sort of about what it's like to uh to raise a child as a single parent and raising them in a way that um where you you are friends as well as uh, you know, apparent, And, uh, and it's just kind of, um, it's, it, it's, it's not super, super plot heavy in terms of being like soap opera, you know? Um, it's mostly about their lives and about the town that they live in. And, uh, and, and, um, it's, uh, I, I think it's a i think it's a cool it's a cool take on a family
2: show i think well it definitely isn't it's um, the first one sean that kind of spoke about these uh issues of a of a teenage girl yeah. with a child and uh really brought it wow. out and that and that really changed a lot of uh, the conversation about teenage pregnancy in certain ways right
5: i i i i don't know i mean if if that if that's a result of the show i think um I think why not? I think it's always uh, it's it's always good to have to have new, fresh looks on television of what different types of families look like, you know, nowadays. Um, but uh, but so the show picks up now. We're almost ten years later, and we're uh, we're just sort of revisiting these characters and seeing what they're what they've been up to. Um, but um, but yeah, yeah, it's been really it's been a Strange
2: ride. It definitely has been a strange ride, and you remind me completely of the show. And I, th- I can't believe you're saying it's ten years because now I remember seeing the commercials of it and I'm like ten years. What? Where did my ten years go, Sean? I mean, I guess yeah, the older, totally. you know, mean, well, yeah, yeah,
5: nine years since it's been off the air. Yeah, fifteen years since it, or yeah, sixteen years since it premiered. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's really weird. And you know what, man? It's it's particularly weird for me because. I started as just a you know, I I, I was just a co star. I came on okay. playing the D S L installer on the second episode, um, thinking I was just doing one episode and, and and out. And uh and they just kept asking me back for the first couple of seasons of the show. I just kept coming back to to little walk on roles and eventually became part of the regular cast. And, you know, 100-plus episodes later, here I am.
2: <laughs> wow. And so that's a story for you and why you reminisce about this show as well because you thought, I'm just doing a little short gig and I'm gone. There you go. I You know, I'll maybe yeah. come on once or twice. Maybe they'll see. They'll. But you got written into the storyline and wow. And now...
5: That's exactly right. I thought, mm-hmm. you know, the first season that I did the show, every episode I did, I thought would be my last one.
2: Oh jeez! <laughs> yeah. Totally. Oh my gosh, that's crazy, man. All right, so it's, yeah, so, it's so ten years later. So a lot of different storylines ten years later. Wouldn't, wouldn't you agree? Uh, based on that, there's a lot but, of different storylines. Meaning, meaning the people have changed uh, in their ages and and different thought process at this yeah. point in time. Yeah.
5: Yeah, the the, the characters certainly change, Although, you know, my character Kirk is sort of. Um, He's sort of the village idiot, and uh he he has not changed a great deal unfortunately
2: <laughs> he has not okay. sort of
5: stay the same
2: he's yeah. not he's not grown up enough right he's got another ten years till it happens for sure right
5: yeah, he's still living in his mom's basement, so um you know make make what you will out of that
2: all right, so this is Gilmore girls a year in the life. On Netflix, uh yes. Friday, November twenty fifth.
5: Premieres on Friday. It comes out on. Uh, it comes out at midnight on, on you know Thursday and Friday.
2: So your hope is there'll be another one, another movie made by Netflix, right? You, that's your hope, right? To continue this process.
5: I guess you so. Know. I don't know. The the, the, the the world doesn't get blown up by a meteor at the end of the show, so I don't. If the demand is there and the scheduling is uh, works out, I don't see why we, you know who knows? Maybe we can make more, but let's see how these go first, I
2: guess. Right, exactly. But Netflix does a phenomenal job of bringing shows back that we miss. That's the great thing about Netflix, I Sean. I mean, I just like, cool. I know. These people are coming back. These people are coming back. Bring Pee Wee back. Bring you it's back. It's a new yeah. world. It is. It truly is. Alright, uh, any other things you have coming going on you want to promote, Sean, and to find information on you? Yes, yeah.
5: I do. I actually have two movies coming out. I have a uh, this sort of a uh, intense psychological horror film called the belco experiment coming out on march 17th okay. and then the big one is guardians of the galaxy volume two which comes out on may 5th and uh, i'm very very excited about that i think um if if you're a fan of the first movie i think the second one is uh is just as good if not better it's uh it's a lot of fun to make that's for sure
2: and sean the best place we can connect with you on social media where can we go
5: um, you can find me at Sean Gunn on Twitter or at The Judge Gunn on Instagram.
2: Okay, Sean. Uh, thanks for calling, man. Uh, best of luck. And thank you for educating me about Gilmore Girls. And uh, I have a...
4: team
0: teenage- kind of- Cyberstationusa.com Terrestrial radio is basically going to be supplanted by what's happening in technology. Think about this. Your Internet receiver gives you the entire world. It's remarkable.
1: This is Cyber Station USA.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, had a teenage, I appreciate it. Yeah, Thanks for having me on
2: the show. You're welcome. Take care, man. See ya. Okay. Bye-bye. You're okay. Li- see well. you. Oh, bye-bye. Bye-bye. You're listening to Total Celebrity Show. and We'll be back in just a moment.
4: Fantastic. I'm excited to welcome to the program David Fry of the National Dog Show presented by Perina. David, how are you?
6: I'm great. We've got a great weekend here, uh, getting the dog show ready for everybody to see on Thanksgiving Day on NBC. So uh, I can't have it any better than I do.
4: Absolutely. And David, uh, I grew up watching the dog show when it was on USA Network, you know, with the, the amazing dogs and all these different things. You really uh, were a childhood favorite of mine watching that show, for sure.
6: That's great. I guess I've done it so long now that when I started out, people used to say, hey, David, we watch your show all the time. We love you. And now, uh, now I'm getting, hey, David, we watch your show all the time. My mom loves you. So uh, I guess I've been around a long time, but it's good for me, and I hope it's good for everybody else, too.
4: Absolutely. What is your favorite thing about about the National Dog Show? Covering it. Well, first
6: of all, how can you help but not have a great time when you're working with John O'Hurley? John's my partner and has been for 15 years. We've, we're celebrating our crystal anniversary this year. We decided, uh, although he's trying to get by with just giving me some paper mache thing, but um, that of course is fun. We have a, a good time bringing it to everybody. I, I love to see the show dogs of any breed, and we get a few breeds each year too,
4: so that makes it fun. What do you, probably it's just like saying one of your children, a child of yours, what's your favorite breed? (laughs) Well, you know, I'm supposed to be the
6: dog guy, so I'm supposed to love them all, and I do. My own two breeds, I have a Brittany. And a Cavalier at home, a great angel who will be watching, of course. I don't know if that counts towards our ratings, but but we do have uh, about 25 million viewers who see the show each year. So uh, I think we can count them in there.
4: That was a great move by NBC to pick it up on Thanksgiving because it's a perfect time for people to watch an event like this. Wouldn't you agree?
6: Well, it's a, it's a great family holiday, you know? You got your family gathered around, and what are they gonna do when you're making the turkey? They've got some options on television, but if we're looking at three generations or so of family, or even four generations of family, we're, we're talking about an age span anything from two years old to 90. Um, we think that's the perfect family sport for everybody to be watching, whether it's the competition or just the entertainment of seeing nearly 200 different breeds of dogs. We're just uh, to listen to John and me and our witty witty banter. So we're having a great time.
4: And I'm sure you get lots of people coming up to you saying, my favorite dog breed is this, and um, I had a favorite dog, and they didn't win, or they won, and 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 I'll never forget it, right?
6: That's it, exactly. I call it the alma mater factor, that if I'm sitting at home with my Brittany... Uh, we're going to watch for and root for the Brittany on TV. So um, we have a little bit of a vested interest. It's like you always watching and rooting for the Oregon Ducks.
4: Now, when we talk about, David, the whole process of judging the, the dogs, what goes all into it? Because I have you on the line so that people could have a preview of what, how to look at how a dog is judged.
6: Every breed has a written description of the ideal specimen of that breed. It usually relates form to function, whether it's how tall they should be, okay, what they should have, what their eyes should look like, and eye placement, and things like that. And it usually relates to whatever job we're asking them to do. That's called a standard. And each dog is supposed to be judged against that standard to see how close they come to fitting that ideal specimen of the breed. And then the judge will pick whichever one he thinks, he or she thinks. It comes closer to that perfection, and it's a give and take because sometimes a dog with a great head might not move as well as a dog that doesn't have so great a head. So um, those are some things that go into the judging at the breed level when, uh, which is the first level of competition, they're competing against the other dogs of the same breed. So maybe you can compare a little bit of one to the other. But when they win, if the, the breed winner uh, advances into its group. Now, let's say in the, the hound group, for example, one of seven groups. In the hound group, you've got the Irish Wolfhound, which is the tallest and biggest breed there is, uh, competing against the Dachshund. Well, you can't compare a Wolfhound to a Dachshund. You have to compare a Wolfhound to the ideal Wolfhound. Doctrine to the ideal doctrine, and whichever one that comes closest, that's the dog that's going to that's prevail on that day. So now we've competed at the breed level, we've competed at the group level, seven groups. Those seven group winners sporting, hound, working, carrier, employee, non supporting, and herding, those seven group winners. Uh, Advanced in the end, it's like an advancing bracket in sports. You win the breed, you win the group. You're in the in the finals. Uh, Seven dogs in the finals. The best judge picks the one that they
4: like the best. I I love your explanation. I didn't think of that in so many ways. And you look at these things. You guys explain it on television, but I remember when I was really young watching it. And it really makes you interested in wanting to pick the favorite dog to buy uh, or go to the, or go to a shelter to pick up when you see, uh, if you luck out, when you see these beautiful animals and see uh, the, how the breeds are. And it gets kids really interested in looking and and, and, and comparing who, what their favorite breed is. Am I correct, David?
6: Well, absolutely. And we think of our dog show as a celebration of the dogs in our lives. They don't have to be purebred. They could be mixed breed. But all we're talking about is take good care of your dog, find a dog that fits your family, your lifestyle, best, and, and that way we know that you'll take care of them and have that dog for the rest of its life. It could be as many as 12, 15 years uh, as a member of your family, and that's really what we're trying to inspire in everybody because, really, the best in show dog is the one that's sitting next to you with, uh, on the couch at home watching. So uh, hug your dog is what we say.
4: Absolutely, and uh, and when you talk about your uh, the person you host with, John, as you talked about O'Hurley, John is hilarious, isn't he? He's funny to work with too. Like just his his uh, his banter.
6: He's a lot of fun. I would tell we come to be uh, personal friends through the fifteen years and yeah, with our families and all. And, and uh, but there'll be times where I'm sitting there and we're watching the dog show, and he'll make some observation and say something. I like, wait a minute, that, that was Ren. Uh, Where's Kramer? Where's George? (laughs) Where's Elaine? Where's Seinfeld? Where are these guys? Because he really, uh, he really is a character. He's brilliant. He's talented. Uh, I'm fortunate to be working with him, except when I have to stand next to him on camera. The guy's six three, perfect hair. You know, one of America's most sexy men from from People magazine a few years ago. Winner of of uh, Dancing with the Stars. He's got a lot of things going for him, and he's He's uh, taught me a lot about the business and been a lot of fun to be with all this time. And, and again, this week uh, uh, for the show.
4: And at times, did you have to educate him when you first started hosting with him about dogs, breeds, and all that well, stuff and spend time? Yeah, yeah.
6: yeah, a little bit, a little bit. but I don't want him to be too technically uh, educated because I want him to just be like the observer and somebody who's sitting and watching at home and see something and wonders about it. Uh, might be asking the same question at home. I like I like it when he does that because it gives us a chance to explain things. Uh, you know, judging is, is really pretty subjective, and I can go to a dog show and watch a judge from outside the ring, and, and when the judge is done, I'll say, well, why didn't they pick this dog instead of that dog? And, and people can do that at home, too. Judge from outside the ring or judge from your couch and your room. Here's the dog I like, and here's the dog I'm reading for.
4: Absolutely, and I know one thing you're most proud of is uh, your work with therapy dogs at the Ronald McDonald House. Can you explain, tell us about that for a second?
6: Well, our dogs, dogs are great at this because they're spontaneous, they're unconditional loving. Um, They don't ask any questions about how you look or if you have money or how you dress. Um, They're there and help. They come visit in healthcare facilities with their human partner and and, uh, try to help people. Get uh, gets through some tough times. You a know, dog, everybody who has a dog knows this, but when a dog walks into the room, the energy changes. People smile, they talk, they think about things other than their challenges during the healthcare care facility perhaps. Uh, and it just makes everybody feel better, whether it's the patient or the staff that's working with them or their family. Uh, to work at the Ronald McDonald House in New York City for so many years are my two dogs. I can't tell you how many times a parent has said to me, geez, that's the first time she smiled all week. And uh, just to be able to do that with your dog really makes it all worthwhile. And then our dogs work, with Grace and I, like Brittany, we go to the VA hospital in New York City every, every Wednesday. And uh, Grace does some work in PT and physical therapy where uh, she's helping these these uh, veterans who may have a new prosthetic arm or something like that, helping them learn how to use their new prosthetic or helping them just to the smile and get through the tough cutings. So... I'm pretty proud awesome. of my dogs, and i be happy to be
4: the guy that gets them there. Great job, uh, David. Again, uh, check us check you out Thursday on NBC Thanksgiving Day for the National Dog Show. Uh, do you have information? We can find info on you, David. Where can we go? You can
6: go to uh, nationaldogshow.com, and this is the National Dog Show, presented by a New at noon in all time zones. And uh, come watch us for the 15th grade year. I think you'll be well entertained this year once again. And uh, come along and have fun with us. Then have your church. Then watch football. Well, for, for the two hours from 12 to noon or from noon to two, uh, hang in here with us.
4: All right, David. Thanks for calling, man. Take care and happy Thanksgiving to you. Thanks, Neil. All right. Thanks, Neil. Good job. All right, bye, David. See ya. You. Bye. You're listening to Total nice. Celebrity <laughs> Show. We're bye. back, one and welcome to the Total Celebrity Show. You can check me out on Twitter, at TotalTutor, and Neil S. Haley Facebook, and also neilhaley.com. And very, very interesting story uh, I have on the line, Nicholas Brooks, who is uh, who is the son of Mel Brooks, and he's he has a film called Sam. Nicholas, thanks for calling. How are you?
7: Uh, Good. Thanks so much, Neil. It's great to be here, and thanks so much for having me on the show.
4: Absolutely, Nicholas. Let's jump right into... All your life, did you want to be involved in films and produce and and write and direct and all that stuff? Was that something you always wanted to do?
7: Uh, Yes, Neil. Um, I wanted to be around film, but it wasn't until Sam that I really wanted to... Uh, direct a film of my own, and um, I'm really, really grateful to have had the opportunity to, uh, you know, both to co-write and to direct and to produce uh, this
1: film.
4: Absolutely, and and uh, having your father involved in this was that pretty interesting in, in the process as well. When you brought this to his attention to, to be in, involved him in the film. Yes, yeah, my
7: dad has has been a mentor and a a guide for a very, very long time. Uh, I worked with him uh, as a story editor at Brooks Films for 25 years, and so he's taught me a tremendous amount about, uh, you know, the art and science and craft uh, of filmmaking, um, I also just wanted to mention, Neil, that uh, just a couple of quick names to mention to you. Uh, my, uh, my co-screenwriter on Sam was uh, John Gallagher, who has directed a number of films himself. Uh, he directed a film called uh, The Deli with guys like Chris Noth and Ice-T. And he directed mm-hmm. a wonderful film called Blue Moon with uh, Rita Moreno and uh, Ben Gazzara. And, and and just uh, wanted to mention a producer, Sybil Santiago, who was she's uh, just such a wonderful human being and a great, great producer that I worked with on Sam.
4: Oh, absolutely! It's great to always, uh, uh, you know, tell tell who all was involved in part in this. So, your father, yeah. in certain ways, this is the big, big production for you, but other. Experience, so you got a lot of experience just being around your father in certain ways in film? Yeah, yeah, like for,
7: yeah, absolutely, Mm -hmm. Neil. I I got to watch him direct uh, parts of Spaceballs, and uh, that was really a really cool experience.
1: And I got to
0: CyberstationUSA.com. Terrestrial radio is basically going to be supplanted by what's happening in technology. Think about this: your internet receiver gives you the entire world. It's remarkable.
1: This is Cyber Station USA.
7: Watch him edit uh, parts of Blazing Saddles, and and uh, of course oh, wow. he would show me that he would show me the different drafts of the script. Uh, different scripts, you know, Young Frankenstein and everything. So it was really fun to see the evolution uh, of these uh, projects.
4: Oh, absolutely. Wow. Okay. So in, in that time period, Nicholas, were you involved in Hollywood all that time or were you doing other things as well while you were around your father in those big films and stuff like that?
7: you know, my dad, at a certain point, my dad moved to California. He moved to LA and I grew up in New York. So I wasn't living with him all the time, but there was a lot of back and forth and a lot of good communication. And, uh, he, he would share, you know, everything he was involved with, he would share with me. So, uh, I really got to learn, you know, by watching. And there was a lot of osmotic learning just by seeing him. Do his thing.
4: Yeah, and um, meaning your job, meaning you as a producer, writer, director, yeah. involved in film in specific ways. Nicholas, when yeah. you, you were in New York, were you doing that, or were you doing other things as well? Um, I, I was,
7: I was, uh, you know, working with him as a story editor. Even though you know I was in New York and he was in L.A., and I was writing, I was writing scripts of my own. Uh, So I would always get good feedback from him, you know, on whatever I was working on. So, uh, you know, he's been a tremendous uh, teacher, uh, and he's just uh, wonderfully supportive. He was was so supportive of Sam um, and really genuinely liked the project. I don't think it was like he was holding his nose but supporting his kid. I, I really think he genuinely likes this movie.
4: Fantastic. So, what do you think? And in, in, in so, your career in writing and stuff. You've been writing for how many years, Nicholas? Uh, writing and being?
7: I started writing, you know, when I got out of college, and I'm I'm going to be 60 uh, in December. So it's it's been just about 40 years. You know, 30, 30. We'll call it 35, but maybe a few years longer than that.
4: Have you been writing books too? as well uh, did
7: you n- yeah. really interesting you mentioned that i actually uh, with, with my uh, uh, co-writer craig knobs who is my upm on sam just finished uh, my first graphic novel uh, and uh, it's a really really cool experience i'm a huge fan of comics and graphic novels, and it was a, a, an amazing experience to to write this thing and watch it come to life in pictures. Um, Interesting. And uh, yeah, yeah. You want
4: to hear about it? Uh, Just just
7: a word or two about it? absolutely, Nicholas,
4: absolutely. I'm happy to chat with you. You're such a great guy. I just want to – I'm just trying to get your history, and that's what I love Uh in these interviews is telling a story so our listeners can understand, okay, Nicholas, you've been in the business for so many years. Yeah, Your father's so well-known, but what are you doing in all this time working for your dad? Well, uh, can can you hear me, Neil? Yeah, I can hear you,
7: Nicholas.
4: Okay, um –
7: I, yeah I was I was uh you know as I say I was working principally as a story editor uh with with my dad and um you know uh, I would I would assist him in in any way I I can in, including a lot of spiritual and you know kind of a cheerleading and spiritual assistance um you know but uh, I just wanted to mention the title of that graphic novel, if
4: if, if oh, you I don't mind. I want to definitely me. get to that, Nicholas. Yeah. Oh, sure, Nichols, sure. No, yeah, yeah oh, I wanted to tell you, I cover every year writers. That's why I brought that up, Nicholas. I cover oh, the cool. Miami Book Fair International every year, and I'll be covering cool. it live this weekend. So I just wanted to oh. – I'm not going to be there, but I'm going to be covering it. So I'm into oh, graphic great. novels. That's what I just wanted to tell you about. Yeah, tell us the, t- oh. the name of it.
7: Yeah, it's called MERCS, M-E-R-C-S, and it's not out yet. Well, we hope to get it out early in in 2017, uh, but it's about uh, what are uh, called either PMCs, private military contractors, uh, but more typically known as MERCs or mercenaries. And uh, you know, we did a lot of good research on this and uh we we really had uh a lot of fun uh putting it together and writing it. So we're we're pretty excited about that.
4: And, right. And uh, so you know, yeah, I'm I'm excited and you're you're welcome to come back on the show when the book comes out. So just definitely oh, reach thank out you. to me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Any t- no so and- the question I'm asking is yeah, Throughout that sure. time as a writer, copy editor, all the different things for your father, other jobs did you have in, yeah. in in New York? Yeah. Can you yeah. I wanted to just know that and then we'll get right into Sam.
7: Sure, sure. Uh, I I also worked uh on some film financing uh, when I was uh, in New York trying to help other people get their films funded. And I I also uh, uh, started a little company many years back uh, to try to help people, um, you know, uh, get uh, their scripts whipped into shape. It was a... you know, a little script consulting company, uh, that I started, but okay. you know, that came and went, but it also taught me a lot. Uh, and the, uh, the other thing is, uh, I did get one of my scripts, uh, very early on. I got it, uh, optioned, uh, by a company called MCEG Entertainment that goes back to the eighties and, uh, it was a kind of a classic eighties comedy. And that, that was very, very instructive as well. Um, but uh, and also, I, I uh, started a uh, a game company, a computer game. So I I actually put oh. out uh, a little a little uh, war game called Red Thunder back in the around around the year two thousand.
4: So, Interesting. So you're you know, definitely kept... the jack. of, Yeah. Have you learned? Did you learn from your father to be this entrepreneur, yeah. trying different types of things?
7: Absolutely. Absolutely. My dad has written, produced, he's directed, uh, you know, uh, he used to do advertising. He, he, he did the big banana commercials back in the, in the seventies. And, uh, you know, uh, in the army, he was a combat engineer and a radio operator. <laughs> so the, the guy has a lot of different talents and, um, yeah, I learned to be flexible in that way from him.
4: Awesome. Yeah. All right, let's get to Sam yep. now. Uh, I can't. Sure. I just looked at the cast. You have a very interesting cast as well in this of some very well-known people. So this, you really jumped uh, feet first into this project for sure with your dad oh. involved and all these amazing people. Mm-hmm.
7: Oh yeah, yeah. We have some great, great cast members, uh, fantastic actors like James McAffrey, uh, who you you might know from Rescue Me, and uh, you know he's he's a, a wonderful, wonderful actor. Stacy Keach, Morgan Fairchild. Uh, my leading lady, Natalie Knapp, is incredibly talented. Uh, and, of course, we've got, you know, people like uh, Sean Clyer, who's now on Odd Mom Out, uh, Tom Pelfrey, who was on Banshee, and, uh, you know, that I'm really, really honored to have worked with such incredible, incredible people.
4: I wish I would have gotten the opportunity to cover this, because that is a who's who of, uh, mm-hmm. of talented people and, and add your father to the mix. Wow. Oh, and yeah. It, you have it yeah. all together. And then, as you said before, yep. your dad did not hold nose to this project. It's a very interesting project. So tell us the storyline of Sam.
7: Well, Sam is is a classic, in some ways, a classic gender switch comedy. Uh, A male chauvinist pig uh, wakes up one morning as a woman and has to see how the other half lives. But it's got some unique twists to it. You know, I I won't give away the ending, but the ending is definitely one of the unique twists. And I also think it tries hard. To be sophisticated, a little bit edgy, and also harkens back to some wonderful classic movies from the 30s, 40s, 50s, and and 60s, and even some of the 80s uh, comedies, like the stuff that uh, Rob Reiner uh, was doing in the 80s. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I tried to learn. I tried to, you know... Uh, a draw from a lot of different threads and learn from a lot of different sources, and then integrate that into Sam.
4: And and, and that's cool. I mean, because again, yeah. the storyline of a chauvinistic guy. So, who tell us about the character? I know we don't want to get to the ending. I, People have to go and see it. But uh the chauvinist yeah. that has to do this. Now does this is remind you a bit in a twist of a of a of I guess a twenty first century Tootsie in a way, almost?
7: Well, a, a little bit, a little bit. Uh you know, to- Tootsie had its own twist and I and I love that movie. I thought Dustin Hoffman did an amazing job. Um, but uh it's a somewhat sim maybe a little more similar Neil, to a movie like uh, Blake Edwards' Switch. Um, there, there was a wonderful movie back from 2006 called It's a Boy-Girl Thing, uh, executive produced by Eric Clapton with uh, Kevin Zeggers and, and Samir Armstrong and you know two or three other movies like that. Uh, uh, All of Me, uh, I think, uh, remember that movie with uh, Lily Tomlin? Uh, and okay. uh, Steve Martin, and you know, so so uh, it's got it's got some interesting lineage, you know, when it comes from the the sources that it draws from.
4: Definitely um, the sources, and then and then this in this conversation, yeah. right, of of being yeah. a woman as a man, yeah. and how we kind of really have built these conversations the last ten years, last five years, and yeah. leading up to this, in a ways, for sure. Yeah.
7: Yeah, and uh you know, absolutely. And you know, uh I'm I'm happy to say that uh I think maybe going out on a limb here, Neil, but I think a lot of women like the movie uh because I really took the time to to talk to women as I was writing it and uh really get their perspective on, you know, what what their lives are like and what the challenges are, you know, that, that they face, uh, even given that
0: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper?